Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today I interviewed Neil Dar. Neil is the U.S. Vice Chair and Consulting Solutions Co-Leader of the U.S. Office of PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC. PwC recently did a pulse survey of the future of work. It's a topic everybody's talking about, the great resignation. Why are the employees leaving? Where are they going? What do they want? How do the employers keep their employees? How do they entice them to come on over from somewhere else? What is going on in the workplace right now? I think you'll learn a lot from Neil. Take a listen. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Really happy today to be with Neil Dar, and uh, I read this report, uh, really a pulse survey that PwC produced about the future of work and how companies can help their businesses and employees thrive. So what I want to start with, Neil, is what people have termed today the great resignation, right? What are the statistics about this great resignation, uh, and what are some of the reasons employees are looking around for jobs these days? Well, first of all, thanks, Jason, for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be with you today. Uh, so I think you're hitting on a really, really interesting topic that takes a lot of mind share right now of the top executives that I'm speaking to across the country and actually across the globe. And, and you use the word the great resignation. In some ways, I actually think of it as more of the great migration in relation to people moving from company to company to company. And I think our survey that we did um, just a while back was interesting on a lot of fronts. But I think the headline, Jason, was that we ran the same survey in May. And in May, the number of folks that were looking for jobs versus what we saw in August jumped nearly 30 points. And about two thirds, 65% of the folks that, that we surveyed are looking for actively looking for a new role. So if you just think about that number, two thirds, and this is a wide population, are looking for jobs, and that jumped 30% in the matter of a few months. So it just shows you the volatile nature in relation to what workforce is going through at the moment. And you, and you mentioned the word new role, um, not just new jobs. So is a, a decent portion of that population actually looking to do something either totally different or climb up the ladder a bit. What do you think is happening in that sort of subset of people looking? So on the new role front, what we're finding is folks, you know, were in lockdown and had time to rethink a whole host of things. And there's a subset of folks that have decided to do something totally different. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention a story just from last night, Jason. I was talking to an executive last night. Uh, who is very successful in what he does. And he is leaving a multi-million dollar role to go do something that's been a passion of his forever and a day, which is to go try his hand at a startup. This is an established executive 
who actually said that, look, COVID has given me the opportunity to think about different things. I'm in my mid forties now, not sure if I'll ever get a chance to do this now. I've discussed it with my family. I'm willing to forego my multi-million dollar paycheck to actually go do something that is totally different in a sector that is totally different with people that I've known for a while now who I trust. So I'm going to go do it. So that's just one example. That's just one example. But there is tons of those situations. I've seen people um, retire in their early 50s now. They basically said, look, I've lost a loved one through this experience or I've reprioritized things. And because of what's happening in the financial markets, um, financially, I'm able to retire maybe three, four, five years earlier than I thought. So I'm going to call it a day and move on. I've seen people <clears throat> migrate into just totally different roles in relation to being in this sector, but maybe moving into a totally different sector. And then there's people that are just job hopping in relation to accelerating their pace in relation to the, you know, the typical corporate ladder. So I know the executive you were talking about is unlikely to be Jack Dorsey, but let's talk about him for a minute. <laughs> You know, it really seems to go all the way to the top. His his great resignation, if you will, was big news this week. Do you see even at the very top those kinds of changes, or do you think his situation might be unique? I think that um, well, I'll give you a data point. So um, I um, we're 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 hiring like crazy. Like our business is booming, and we're hiring like crazy. So with that, given my role in the firm, um, I spend time with various um, search firms in relation to firms that are that are helping us um, execute on our strategy of hiring incremental people, senior level people. And multiple firms have told me they've never been busier as they have the last 12 months, which surprised me at first when I heard it in relation to, you know, we're in a pandemic. I would have thought that people would have been um, hesitant to move around. Interviews are mostly done in this sort of format you know, i.e. virtual, um, that would senior executives really be looking to um, jump? And he said at every level, board, CEO, um, senior C-suite, that their business is booming across every industry, every industry. And um, two of the firms said they're going to have record years. So that just gives you a data point in relation to your point around senior executive searches and um, how people are moving around a lot. You know, it's funny because you mentioned the beginning of COVID. So at the beginning of COVID, I was talking to a bunch of companies who were laying off employees and employees who were afraid of losing their jobs. And people were fretting and thought that's the direction it was going to be. But it turned out it's ended up quite the opposite. Now yeah. every employer I talk to is saying, I can't find people, whether it's garage owners, hospitality, restaurants, all the way to law firms and corporate types. They just can't find the people to fill these jobs. What do you think employees are looking for? What can employers do to attract these employees to fill these jobs? So I wholeheartedly subscribe to your, your theory about this across all industries. I'll give you an example. I live in New York City, and I like to get coffee on Sunday mornings from this particular uh, coffee store right around the corner. So a couple of months ago, I went to the store, Jason, and the line was around the corner, like literally it was around the corner. And I usually go a little bit later to avoid the traffic. And the owner, uh, I was talking to the owner as I got closer up uh, to the front of the line. And I said, well, what's going on here? I haven't seen this in, in ever here. 
And he said, Neil, how many people do you think we have on a normal Sunday pre-pandemic? I said, I don't know, six or seven. He goes, that's exactly right. How many people do you count now? Two. Okay. He goes, I can't hire people. I cannot hire people. Same thing. My assistant the other day came to me. Um, I like to do, uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot more client lunches now, a lot more client lunches, client dinners, client entertaining, um, which is good, which is, which is really good. I love doing that. Um, my assistant said, Neil, it's really hard to book reservations at 1230. I like having lunch at 1230. I said, why is that? She said, like, the restaurants, first of all, there's only a fraction of them that are open in New York City. Okay. Still. Uh, and the ones that are, they, they don't have help. They don't have help. So they could only serve a fraction. So, so that's what's going on. And by the way, that's in every sector, including my business, in, in, including my business. Um, and th- thank God we did not, um, we as a management team decided that layoffs would be uh, uh, um, not done. So, so, so layoffs were, um, uh, forbidden for us as the, um, you know, as the pandemic hit and thank God we did that, Jason, because like we have such needs because the market is such, uh, a hot across all of our sectors and all the types of things that we're doing. So, so with that, um, I think there's a lot going on in the marketplace in relation to what employers and employees and that relationship is right now. Uh, I don't know if you want to explore that a little bit in relation to kind of what we're seeing in the marketplace. Yeah, I'd love to. Just one interim question. It sounds like PwC, and I don't know if you were unique in this, whether it was because you foresaw this and needed to retain the talent or you felt for people, you didn't want to make them nervous and fire them in the midst of a pandemic. Um, was PwC unique in that in holding on to its employees or what do you think? Yes. Um, it was clearly the latter in relation to the world was at that point so uncertain. We as a management team would meet every single day at five o'clock to go through what's going on in our wider business, what's going on in the world, our balance sheet, um, the discretionary parts of our business, Jason, like the pipeline was dropping every day. Like literally it was dropping every day as you'd expect, right? The the world was in shutdown mode and our leadership team held steadfast in relation to our people, our greatest assets, and that we would not be doing layoffs. And and our CEO was very public about that. Um, Many of our competitors actually did um, let people go in scale. Um, And I think that fractured the employee-employer bond right? For some of these firms. Um, so I think in many ways, we, we were unique. We were certainly first, we were certainly first in relation to making that, you know, declaration in relation to what we stood for, from a purpose standpoint as a company. And I imagine from the employee perspective, one of the things they're trying to get this time around as they seek new work, new jobs, new roles is working for a company that actually recognizes what you just described, which is that they are indeed an asset. They're not just a cog in a wheel, a body, but somebody who the company values wants to allow them to grow as far as they can grow, train them. Is that among the list of things that uh, on the list of things that employees are looking for? Wholeheartedly. So so, so what employees are looking at, again, our our survey that you referenced up front, employees are currently looking for um, compensation, flexibility, benefits, and a company that cares. Like that was loud and clear, right? Like th- those four elements. 
And I think you're hitting on that last point in relation to creating an employee experience and having loyalty um, both ways, both ways. We also found in the survey, Jason, that people felt the tightest bond with their immediate boss, as you'd expect. And that experience actually would dictate a lot of if they go or stay. Um, and I see that play out not only in my organization, but across many organizations. So, so I think the employee equation has become a lot more complex since March of 2020. And it sounds like PwC got that, got that early. Do you find employers get it? It's not, yes, money is easy. It's, it either works or it doesn't work in terms of compensation benefits in a way is a largely about money, not entirely flexibility. We'll get to a little bit later in the conversation, but do employers generally understand now that employees want to feel respected? They're willing to give it their all. They're willing to fight for the company, if you will, but they don't want to just be treated as, um, as nothing. A cog in the wheel that you said. Um, so I think some do, some don't. So I think the companies that get it are able to compete in a, in a different way, in a differentiated way. Uh, I think the companies that don't are struggling. I do think a lot of executives also are pivoting, Jason, in relation to maybe they took a position early and they've retreated on that position a little bit in relation to allowing the flexibility and allowing a little bit more autonomy to their employee base. So, and by the way, this changes like literally week to week, month to month in relation to some of the things. So, so some of the big banks you've, you've seen take some hard positions early on. And more recently, they, they've, they've softened their position on, uh, on some of the uh, hybrid nature of their work. Uh, and I think it's because of what they're seeing in the macro uh, in relation to their employees are, are, are voting by, by walking. So, so, so I think you're seeing efficient markets play out in a way, um, I'll leave you with this uh, on the point. Um, you know, I like to think of real estate as, you know, it's either a buyer or seller's market. With employees right now, I think it's clear, it's clear that it's an employee's market and the employee has a lot of power. And I think certain organizations saw that early others maybe not as quickly and reacting accordingly. And how much, I guess when you layer on COVID, right? So there's this great resignation, employees want X, Y, and Z, they have a lot of power. But now you even have what people, when people thought maybe COVID isn't finished, but it's getting finished. So now you have the the new variant. How much of that is making employers react even more toward and bend more towards the employees to make sure they can keep their businesses running. I think, look, I've spoken, spoken to a number of executives this week. Um, I think employers are getting more and more accustomed to the unexpected. So for instance, I'll give you my own example. I was meant to fly to Europe on Sunday uh, and spend time with a number of clients during the course of this week. In fact, I think I was initially, I was conflicted for this interview. Um, 
what what happened uh, and I had, I had about 20 client meetings I had a number of dinners we were hosting a you know a, a client dinner everyone was excited by the way Jason to kind of spend time you know together again and with everything that played out over the weekend um I decided uh along w w with our clients to, to cancel those meetings um and it's just like that would never happen like two years ago right never happened uh, so I think everyone's getting used to the unexpected here in relation to how things are going to bounce up and down. I was looking at our statistics um, in relation to in-office, um, uh, our own firm statistics. It's gone down this week, as you'd expect. Okay. So I think everyone's sort of just getting used to the new norm. And the new norm is it's going to be very unexpected. People don't know what to expect next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. But yet we still get by with... Um, virtual work virtual work you know for most companies has been just just very effective um and and i think we've been very flexible as a society to deal with everything that's coming our way yeah look i'll be honest i love virtual work i was talking to a whole bunch of friends who had just started to drift back into the city once twice three times a week no one not many people that i know is going back all the time i live in a suburb and um, a lot of people are based in manhattan yeah. But they said, you know, look, they don't miss the, what was probably once a two hour round trip commute from the suburb. Now, maybe even longer because there are so many more people on the road, despite That's gas right. prices being what they are, people feel safer, uh, yep. not taking mass transit. They say, look, of that two to two and a half hours, I could work part of that. So I'm even more productive. And part of it, I could spend time with my family. I know for myself, I had a 20 year career commuting into Manhattan, 20 year plus, I never had family dinners during the week. I just couldn't. So thankfully, I have my Shabbat. I have uh, you know meals Friday night, Saturday, and all that. But over COVID, I, it was rare when I didn't have a family meal with my kids, which is very special. Am I less productive? No, I'm quite the contrary. I'm more productive. Do I work harder? I actually do, but I spread out the hours a little bit, subject to you know the people that I work with. So I probably work longer hours, but I can do things that I normally couldn't do. Are you finding that employers recognize that for a certain portion of their population and are willing to come up with solutions for that? I think they're getting it. I think they're getting it. I think there are certain companies, certain sectors that took maybe a, a bolder line in relation to get back um, because we must get back. Uh, I think there's others that embrace flexibility as a differentiator. I think you're absolutely right with your 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 points that you made. Like I'll give you an example with me personally. We were blessed to have um a little baby um during COVID. So, so he's eight months old now. That's awesome. Yeah, his name his name is Brody. He's actually downstairs screaming away. Bring, but, him, um, bring him up, bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> so so Jason, like it, it's yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm working just as hard, if not harder, pre-pandemic. And in fact, um, actually, let me correct that. I'm working harder. I am working harder post-pandemic than pre-pandemic. And I'm able to spend quality time because it's a lot more flexible. And by the way, I am starting to spend a little bit more time on the road and in the office um, because my business is such that um, I have to be very flexible to our clients' needs. And our clients are more amenable, you know, at least pre this this current variant on spending time together more on a face-to-face -face, because I think people want to get out and spend time with each other and all that. Um, so again, that comes back to this whole flexibility point about sort of being able to be agile 
as the world kind of moves around. Um, I am uh, seeing more and more companies, um, companies that I would have never, ever thought embracing virtual, um, embracing virtual. So I was talking to a private equity executive the other day. Their initial position was to come back um, full time, to get all their employees back full time. Uh, and they had a little bit of, um, uh, I think a mutiny is probably a strong word, but they had a little bit of pushback, right, for, for, from their staff, including their front office folks. And they're going to embrace a model where they're going to have people come in on Wednesdays, and then the other four days, there'll be flexibility, full flexibility. There's another firm that I spent time with the other day um, that their whole model is let people work wherever. This is a private equity firm, by the way. Remember, private equity's culture is such that we're better together, and it's all about being together, you know, apprenticeship model and the like. This firm is, and by the way, this firm is is a newer firm, and they are really differentiating themselves. And and the the senior guy there was telling me that they're able to attract a different level of talent through what they're doing. So again, there's people that are using it as differentiators. There are people that embraced it early, and then there may be people that are making adjustments uh, in relation to how they're changing their way of thinking. Yeah, look, I could completely see it. For some that have flexibility, I could see, you know, spend a month in Dubai working remotely, obviously the time difference, a month in London, a month in Hawaii, wherever, work hard, but also have a quality of life that's different than it used to be. So I think that private equity shop is onto something important. Yeah. By the way, if you want to bring Brody into the interview, you wouldn't be the first person to change a diaper in one of my interviews, if you could believe it or wow. not. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what are employees doing? That's one example, the private equity shop. But what are employees doing to sort of design it? Are they, are they recognizing that it's going to be a hybrid? And what are, besides the, let's say, once a week or multiple times a week or work from home, what are some of the other portions of the hybrid work model these days? And I'll give you real examples of clients that I'm speaking to and kind of what they're thinking about. I spoke to a client the other day that is really focused on the in-office experience. So when their employees come in, what does their in-office experience look like Um, in relation to offices, common work areas, um, ordering lunch, um, you know, having people have the right technology, um, you know, swapping out existing technology for differentiated technology to create more collaboration and working through, um, you know, maybe um, a meeting where half the folks are in the office, half the folks are um, uh, on Zoom, and that creates all sorts of different dynamics. There's one thing if we're all on Zoom, there's another thing if four of us are in a conference room and there's four of us on Zoom, right? The meeting after the meeting or before the, like all that stuff, right? So they're very, very focused on the work experience, the in-office experience, okay? Um, another client was working through, um, how do you practically make, um, a hybrid model work? I.e. if you have a certain subset that are in the office, because that's what they've chosen to do versus another has chosen to opt out. Um, do you have different career paths? Do you have different, um, ways of, of promoting different ways of, of, of paying and the like, um, and these are complex problems. These are very complex problems. Okay. Um, others are working. I had another client that was working through on a long-term basis, the security issues of having an employee base that's spread out all over. 
in relation to from cyber to um, you know confidential information laying around, all that other type of thing. So so there's like a myriad of issues um, that we're all going to have to deal with because I do think this work model that we're in right now is not something that's just going to like fix itself overnight and we're going to go back to pre you know March of 2020. Like I, I don't think that's going. I think we have fundamentally altered the way we work um and i think we're gonna have to you know get used to it embrace it and 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 actually capitalize on it yeah i think capitalize is probably the key word and hopefully have the humility to recognize that what work you know and maybe this wasn't true a few months ago before the variants but to recognize that we could come up with what we think is a good plan today and in a week or a month or three months from now it may not work anymore and we have to we have to be flexible that's right that's right that's exactly right. What do you think the impact of the corporate culture? I hear a lot about corporate culture. What do you think the impact is to corporate culture? And can, with a hybrid model, can the companies address that? So it's interesting. I've been asking that question a lot of, of our clients recently. And I was talking to a client yesterday, actually, about this very topic. I hadn't spoken to him in a while. And we were chit-chatting for about 20 minutes before we got into the the crux of our conversation. I asked about culture and he said, actually corporate culture is stronger now. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, when we get together now, it's for a purpose versus just getting together for the heck of it. Okay. He said, actually like things like diversity and the like, when you're on a screen, you're more conscious to it, right? In relation to is everyone participating in the conversation and the like. He said, um, preparation is actually at a higher level um in relation to being in a more of a virtual world because like maybe doing an earnings call or doing um a customer call just requires that incremental preparation because you know you're going to be on virtual so so his view was that actually culture at his organization has gotten stronger now i would say uh and maybe i'm a traditionalist here um I do believe that there are certain um, professions where the apprenticeship model is so ingrained into that profession. So think of investment banking, think of private equity, think you know consulting. Um, and over time, how does culture change? So for instance, the business that I look after here at PwC, um, which is a big business, um about 40% of my folks have started after March of 2020. Wow. Remember I have a lot of new joiners, right? I have a lot of catalysts that are coming into the firm um and uh that's a big number Jason, right? That's a big number. So those are folks many of them have never experienced actually working physically together, okay? Now look, my business is booming. Like things are great. Our pipelines off the charts, our revenues off the charts, our employee satisfaction scores. I just got the most recent ones. They're very strong. Um so so things are working. My biggest fear is is that sustainable and is that sort of long-term oriented? I don't know. I don't know, right? And I'm hearing the same from investment banks, private equity firms, uh 
you know, law firms, right? Uh, you know, people are experiencing similar ty types of things. How do people feel about vaccine mandates these days, both on the employee and the employer side? Yeah, I would say, look, I think employers had to make decisions in relation to um, looking at their um, policies, procedures, sort of looking out for the entire employee base, okay, and made decisions. Um, some using, you know, the federal guidelines and, and, and suggestions and the like. Um, and then employees, obviously, for the vast majority, the vast majority, I think are just fine in relation to, um, you know, being um, comfortable knowing um, that they're in an environment where, um, uh, you know, everyone is vaccinated. So, so I personally, Jason, have not heard that much noise. Of course, there's outliers. Of course, there's outliers, right? But I haven't heard too much noise. I haven't heard too much noise. And obviously now with the booster shots and all that, there's that incremental, right? So uh, in fact, I'm getting mine tomorrow. Um, uh, but I, I personally haven't heard that much, right? N not to say there isn't, not to say that there isn't, but um, I, haven't, I personally haven't heard that much noise. And look, some of the noise just may be political driven, so that doesn't necessarily reflect what people are thinking. Yeah, and scale, that's right. Yeah. If you were advising um, some of your top corporate clients what the best tips are to retain, well, I should say, attract and retain top talent for their businesses. What are what are some of the tips for them? I'd say, number one, be very, very engaged with your employee base, like you've never been engaged before. Like focus groups, surveys, um, spending time, right? Virtual, physical, but spending time that really matters. To my point earlier, there is that trust bond between employee and employer. And a lot of times employer sort of the direct boss. Okay. So, so those spend time with your employees. Okay. Communicate, communicate over communicate in relation to the world is uncertain right now. And I think the more that leaders are communicating with their employee bases about the uncertainty and it's going to be okay the better they're going to be, right? They build that trust. Trust builds um, a bit more loyalty, right? Doesn't solve everything, but it, but it builds more loyalty. I think on the recruiting front and bringing talent in, really have your talking points around what you as an organization stand for. Be it ESG, be it flexible work, be it how you treat your employees, corporate purpose, I think people are looking at that more and more and more. I, I do a lot of senior hirings, and uh, that is front and center on people's mind, front and center on people's mind. And then appreciate the wider ecosystem that we're living in right now and to look for differentiation. And if you were sitting in front of a room full of employees who either are thinking of resigning as part of this movement or have already resigned and are looking for their next opportunity. What are some of the tips you could share with them? So I would, and I'll give you this answer today versus maybe 12 months or 18 months ago. Okay. Um, I would be less focused on company results and, and the bottom line 
and I'd be more focused on their experience, to talk about their experience uh, with us as an organization, um, their experience with us in relation to um, you know the full virtual model or giving them options uh, and the like. Uh, I, I, I'm a lot more focused on that these days in relation to explaining what's different about our organization through a non PL lens. Of course, the PL is important. I'm not deminimizing the PL, but at the end of the and remember, for, for a business like mine, people is our single greatest asset by a country mile, right? So to spend time with our most important asset, our people, is absolutely critical. Great. Well, Neil, I'm glad PwC did this Pulse survey. I think it's uh, it's an important report. I think people should listen to it. I think your insight here is very helpful in helping companies and people navigate this very unusual time that we live in. Uh, is there anything that I might have left out that you might want to share with the listeners? No. Look, th- thank you for this conversation, and thanks for taking the time here. Um, I, I'd, I'd say just for your listeners, it's a dynamic world and to sort of uh, adapt accordingly. Uh, Jason, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have thought that our um, firm would be offering a full virtual option to our employees and that 20% of our folks would take us up on it. But that's exactly what happened a couple of months ago. We were the first in our industry to, to make that offer. We didn't know what we were going to expect. And lo and behold, one in five told us that they want to work virtually. So just that in itself, right? I would have never thought that 18 months ago. So again, the world's going to be quick and we're going to have to adapt quick. And it'll be interesting also to track what the others are doing. I assume some said no, but also some probably don't know yet. Because, yeah, they, yeah. They still some are following, it. some don't know what they're going to do, right? Some, some said no. You're right. You're right. So. Yeah. Uh, and again, we're all learning from each other. That's the other big thing here is we're in this together and learning from each other is critical. Neil, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Hey, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek. I appreciated Neil Dar coming on the show. Neil is the U.S. Vice Chair and Consulting Solutions Co-Leader of the U.S. Office of PwC. PwC did a recent Pulse survey of the future of work. Everyone is confused. Everyone's confused about the great resignation. Employers don't know how to keep their employees, how to entice them over from other places. Employees aren't sure where to go, what to do, what they should be looking for in their next position. I think Neil gave some very, very valuable insight. I also want to let you know that I have written a book. It is being published. I encourage you to pre-order it on Amazon. The book title is In the Path of Abraham. It is about the Middle East It is about Israel. It is about all the countries around Israel, how the Abraham Accords came about. If you understand or want to understand the Middle East, if you support the Middle East and the countries in the Middle East, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and others, if you're fascinated by them like I am, if you want to learn more about them and what we did in the White House, this is the book to pick up. Go to Amazon, search my name. You'll find the book. The title, again, is In the Path of Abraham. If you want to learn more about my thoughts and opinions, follow me on Twitter at GreenblattJD. That's at G-R-E-E-N-B-L-A-T-T-J-D. And if you found this podcast informative, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends, family, and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever your podcast can be heard. 
We had a great roster of guests until now. If you missed any of the episodes, do scroll back and listen to them. We have a great bunch of guests coming up. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.